The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with David Alcorn, the designer of the North Face logo. We talk about the origins of the logo, the early days of the North Face, as well as corporate branding and identity. Joining me today is David Alcorn, a graphic designer, uh, design director at various firms, um, partner um, or owner of his own firm, um, book designer, um, and and uh, well, manage corporate design at Merrill Lynch. But for this purpose of this interview, we'll we'll be talking about um, your history being the the creator of the North Face logo. So thank thanks for joining me. Well, I'm happy to be here. That, like I mentioned to you off air, uh, it's it's always a challenge distilling down someone's career um, in, into only a few a few sentences. So I, I hope I did it justice because you've had a, a long, successful career that is is still going. We talked about some potential upcoming projects. You're you're still going. So I appreciate you um, being willing to take some time. Um, but but we're gonna take a step back. I, I want to understand a little bit about how you how you got started. Um, how did you, when did you recognize that design was something that you were interested in? Oh, now you're going way back. Um, I, for up until I was 16 years old, had imagined that I was going to go into agriculture hmm. and be a manager of a corporate ranch and go to the University of California at Davis and, uh, um, in the summer of my 16th year, I happened to be on the East Coast, uh, and I read a book by a famous uh, advertising man called David Ogilvy, and it, the name of the book was Your Future in Advertising. And I read about art directors, and I thought, wow, that sounds pretty cool. Maybe I could channel my way into an advertising agency. So uh, I had been taking art classes in high school and then wound up going four years uh, to the California College of Arts and Crafts in Oakland. It's now changed its name, I guess, to the California College of Art and um, graduated with a bachelor's degree in fine art uh, in graphic design. So um, that led me to a first job in San Francisco uh, at a package design firm. And uh, we were doing primarily um, pharmaceutical packaging, but you have to remember the era that this was in. San Francisco was kind of the epicenter of uh, free love, drugs, 
you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll at the time. And, uh, you know, a lot of great music came out of that period. The Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead actually playing for some parties at the North Face store in, in, in uh, North Beach in San Francisco. And uh, so I hadn't been at that, uh, at that job very long and on a lunch hour, I happened to take a walk and around the corner from my office, I saw these super graphics going up some stairways and they were super graphics of skiers. And, you know, this was a, back in a time when there really wasn't such a thing as super graphics and anything that there were had to be painted by hand basically. And um, so I just, went in the door and saw a fellow and introduced myself. And it turned out that his name was Al Vincelet and he was the Western sales rep for head skis. And he had actually been uh, on the U S Olympic team, 1960 uh, in Squaw Valley, California. Anyway, we developed a fast friendship and, um, one day he said, you know, I've got some friends that need some freelance design work. And uh, turned out that just two blocks from where I was working um, was the North Face shop. And Hap Klopp had recently purchased the North Face stores. At the time, I think there were three, uh, San Francisco, Berkeley, and I think Palo Alto from uh, Deb, Deb Tompkins. And anyway, my friend Al said, well, you know, they need a logo and they need signage and they need labels for products that they're going to be developing. And so Al put us together and uh, Hap and I had lunch a couple of times in a place called uh, um, Clown Alley, which was a famous landmark hamburger place in San Francisco. And uh, he said, all right, you're at the job. And, uh, but the only stipulation I have is no pine trees. Hmm. And the reason for that was that, um, they really hadn't developed many products of their own yet. And so they were really selling other manufacturers' products out of these retail shops. Primarily, um, the biggest one at the time was probably Sierra Design. And Sierra Design had um, pine trees in their motif mm -hmm. of their, of their uh, trademark. So um, that's how it started. Um, you know, the, the area was infamous from the point that um, Broadway, uh, the corner where the North Face was, just off the corner, uh, the, the corner was a famous strip club called the Condor with the famous stripper called Carol Dota. <laughs> and um, uh, that was an Italian section, um, North Beach. Um, and so 
and my office was just a few blocks away. Ultimately, um, when I did go into business for myself, I wound up um, just a couple of blocks away from from the North Face shop. At the time that I developed the logo, there were, um, I think, five employees in the basement of that retail shop um, sewing products. So that was their their humble beginnings, as it were. Well, it's it's a... Uh, it's a story that I, I feel like I've heard variations of a similar story, of, especially people who get into the outdoor industry in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Erickson and, and Jan Fletcher, I, I mentioned to you that I, I interviewed them and yeah. kind of a similar story. They came on a couple of years after this, this mm-hmm. instance, right? Um, I think I believe in 71, they, they, mm-hmm. they had started. Um, I think they may have moved to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, you know, Mark's story was that he was just looking for a job and wandering around that area and happened to hear the whirring of the, the sewing machines. And he was captivated by, by that sound and yeah. what was happening and people making things yeah. um, and just kind of wandered in and, and, you know, ended up getting a job that way. Um, you know, def- definitely a different situation for, for yourself, but, but similar in that, it, those connections are so important, you know, uh, to, well, to break into the outdoor industry, uh, you know, just walking in and making a friendship with, with someone at head, um, led to this moment. Yeah. And, uh, to think that, you know, um, half, you know, the, think about the time and, uh, here was this 21 year old designer right out of school and half, offering him the job that uh, has become, you know, an internationally known icon and without any kind of uh, uh, tweaking to it in over 50 years, which I, that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of is that the design was strong enough that, that there was no attempt to alter it, revise it, update it or whatever. Um, that the longevity of it is is uh, what I'm proud of. Well, when when you were having these conversations, uh, you were also still working for this pharmaceutical company, right? Um, well, I was a design firm that did okay pharmaceutical yeah. clients. Right. So you were you were working for them. I, I imagine it, it probably would have been easy to just blow off freelance work and say, Oh, you know, I've, I've got enough on my plate, you know, working nine to five. Do I really need to take on additional work? Um, I guess what was your thought process there taking on more work for a company that was largely unknown, right? You, you had no idea yeah. that this would grow right. to be what it is today. Why, why take on one more project? What was it about this project that, that caught your attention? It has to go back to Hap and his enthusiasm and, um, his belief in the product and um, towards the environment. You know, people really weren't um, revved up about um, conservation and, uh, of the environment. And so all of those things were things that made me want to be associated with this company and continue to do whatever I could possibly do for them. Um, so, you know, I, 
I continued doing projects for them for some time, even after they moved to Berkeley and did some vehicle graphics and, and I designed a trade show booth for them and um, uh, quite a number of, of um, uh, collateral material. Right. And as I mentioned to you, in looking back, um, I don't have an actual copy of the piece anymore, but <clears throat> in the photograph, I see that I was actually a model in, in one of the product photos. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not only that I believed in the company all this time, but I've, but I've also been, um, you know, a 50 year plus customer. Right. Um, you know, I walk through my mudroom and every coat on the coat rack is some kind of North Face product, be it uh, rain parkas or parkas or, or uh, gloves or, um, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of other things hanging on that rack, hats, etc. So... Well, I'm very enthusiastic about the company, always have been, and can, will continue to be. What was that, I guess, what was your process going into creating the logo for the North Face? At the time, they, they had a logo, right? Or some, some, you know, they had the North Face yeah. word mark, right? And yeah, no uh, what, what, uh, what went into that, the evolution of that and the, the, the process well, of creating evolution. something? You know, I, I started out, as I mentioned to you, doing a bunch of thumbnail sketches on tissue paper. And, and uh, uh, I tried things like points of the compass to relate to north. Um, uh, you know, tried things with mountain shapes. Um, uh, but I really hadn't, at, at that age of 21, I really hadn't seen very many of the mountains of the world. Yeah, I knew that there was Whitney and, and um, you know, Everest, et cetera. And, but I had never been to any of these places, but I had been to Yosemite. And in just doodling around and stacking up the type, um, I happened to just literally with an overlay, tissue overlay, bump um, the shape of half dome in Yosemite against the type. And I thought, this is it. This is, this is going to be a very strong statement in this configuration. I tried other configurations of it in a linear form uh, with a small logo at the end of it. And, you know, that, that just didn't, didn't make it. Uh, but the locked up position of the words flush right and in all bold caps, Helvetica, um, with that symbol, um, going off to the side, um, I came to the conclusion that that was it. And, Every piece that I put together in terms of uh, presentation material, stationary, checks, um, sketches of a truck, etc., um, all 
had that same locked up um, logotype. And uh, I wound up not, I was so convinced that that was it, that I literally didn't present any other design directions. And they bought it. They said, this is it. This is definitely it. And I can't imagine in today's environment with uh, huge branding firms and uh, focus groups, et cetera, that, uh, that this would have stood a chance. I mean, the design would have stood a chance, but the process and not showing any other candidates uh, just really wouldn't fly today. Well, you, you've been through that process on the corporate side or been involved with, with Merrill Lynch. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that more um, down the road, but um, I, just this, the connection between these symbols, right, and, and the brand. I don't know. Do you mind talking a little bit about that and, and you know, the process that companies go through, the, the, just the thought, the, the, the work that goes into creating a brand and a symbol that represents that brand and, and how those are, those are intertwined. Like you, you've kind of described you know, a very different process when you created this, this initial logo. At first, for me, was I really basically just groped along till I felt like, you know, this is what they taught me. This is what my professor would have said. Um, this is the way you presented on presentation boards, etc. cetera. Um, but then I actually got hired by design firms and as a design director. And I would sit in meetings with corporate clients and they would say, well, this is our product. This is, you know what we're going to be doing and whether it, it necessitated uh, name generation for a product um, and then visuals to go along with it, packaging, etc. cetera. Um, we always had internal meetings with the design staff and would look at dozens of possible directions. And for the most part, in the firms that I've been uh, affiliated with, we always brought it down to three potential uh, designs to present to the, to the corporate client. And um, um, that's sort of the way it went. And when I was on the Merrill Lynch side and had a few product names that we had to uh, come up with names and and uh, and logotypes for. Then I was on the side deciding which one of those candidates was uh, the most viable for us. So um, that's basically the logic and rationale. Without going into um, you know deep detail about it, but um, yeah. So I worked in the consulting firm side and, and as I mentioned at Merrill Lynch on the, um, the client side. Right. When, when you're creating, when you were creating the, the North Face logo, you know, you mentioned on the corporate side, like there's so much thought that goes into that, that process and, and what those symbols mean. Did you find yourself you know, as you were creating the logo and sketching, you know, iterating on this idea, were you thinking about 
it to that level of, you know, what, what does this brand mean? Were you looking at it from a branding perspective? It's like trying to, to take the values of this company and distill it into a symbol. Does that make sense? I can't say that, that I was at that point. I was thinking more about applications, sleeping bags, labels, and, and fabric labels, and, and signage, and, and uh, advertising, and all the iterations of where this would be applied. And uh, so as far as, as a company philosophy, I mean, their, their philosophy, I was totally in tune with. And so I can't say that it, it really um, entered my mind anymore after that, but, but that the North Face was a preeminent um, environmental uh, conscious company and that I wanted to be associated with. Right. Oh, that makes sense. That's great. Um, I, I think going back to um, a mountain that's so important to California was an interesting choice, right? And but but well, like you said, being being in our own backyard, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, I, I I just think about um, you know most most outdoor companies. There's there's some type of tie back to nature, right? Whether that's the the Patagonia range you know, yeah. logo of Patagonia or Holya Bar, you know, has a mountain peak. Not, not I don't know if it's any specific mountain peak. Um, there, you know, there's, no, there's so many. That, uh, for years and years and years, um, I never had anybody ask me what the design represented. And, um, you know, it was probably 10 years before it dawned on anybody that, Oh, I think he took this shape from Half Dome in Yosemite. And, you know, that basically was right. But it, it had more to do as I was sitting at the drawing board. In those days, you sat at a drawing board, not at a computer. And um, uh, with a ruling pen and ruling compass. And it had more to do with the curves off of the stacked up letter forms and you know it it just reminisced um half dome in you know the, the beginning of my original thumbnail sketches well, I think there's something visually that really stands out about that 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 contrast between most of these other outdoor brands going with a jagged mountain range look mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. about that rounded out mountain that's it just is striking it's so different um mm-hmm. from from many of the other logos um from in the outdoor industry at the time um i i i i just keep going back to this idea of tying the logo back to a place um that being so significant and you know so much has aged really well about the logo itself mm-hmm. um but but one in particular that i think is so interesting is is tying it back to that place in particular yosemite and so much of the outdoor industry developing on 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 the the face of of that mountain right um whether it's directly related to the north face or it's other outdoor pioneers gathering yeah. at that place um, well, I- 
I think at this point, if they were just starting out and not part of a a conglomerate that's headquartered in in Denver these days, you know, presenting them with a symbol that represented <laughs> a mountain in California might not have been mm-hmm. one of the primary candidates. Right. It's I yeah I agree, uh, and I think it's it's you know more and more looking back, it's um. It's it's an incredible choice uh, for a location just because of all of the history that has occurred in that location, um, and really solidifies the North Face yeah. as being a part of that that the larger legacy of the outdoor industry, right? And and right. a lot of its origins being in that region, right? And so many of the North Face sponsored athletes mm-hmm. have had fabulous experiences and and things in Yosemite, so. Right. Um, I think I'm pretty proud of that fact. Yeah. Well, I, the the other thing that you mentioned being proud of is kind of the timelessness of of the logo and how little, well, it hasn't changed, right? Um, and how the company hasn't made any adjustments. Um, kind of bringing bringing the conversation forward a little bit to to present day. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Seeing well, companies are very protective of those logos, right? Um, we've started to see some companies take some liberties, especially with collaboration uh, between brands being more and more popular. You'll start to see variations on iconic brands like the Nike swoosh. Um, yeah. But it, it's still, you know, there, that's a little taboo, right? To, to alter a brand's logo. No. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on 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 the the recent North Face Gucci collaboration to see those two iconic brands come together in one logo must have been an interesting moment for you to see. It was an interesting moment for me to see. It was um, disheartening to see so many negative comments when they posted a a video on Instagram. Um, Those are diehard, long-time North Face customers that will be difficult to uh, persuade that their brand hasn't deserted them. But uh, I'm all for collaborations when when they work. Um, How they're presented um, is something that I'm just this this week uh, starting a dialogue with the folks uh, in Denver uh, about how there should be some formal graphic standards uh, agreed agreed upon at at corporate level on on how to handle, um, you know, these kind of visual collaborations that I believe and the the feedback that I got um, between Christmas and New Year's regarding the... um, the Gucci promotion was one of confusion by so many people thinking that the name uh, of Gucci and the North Face logo coming into such, such close proximity to one another, they, they thought that a new corporate, aden- a corporate entity had been formed where in fact it has not. So um, I think going forward and with some agreed agreed upon standards, which I thought of I should have 
recommended years ago, but we've gone 50 years with, uh, without any kind of um, uh, alteration to the, to the logo or infringement upon it. There have been certainly a lot of um, imitations of it. And uh, um, I was in Nepal uh, last, well, in, about a year ago in October, I guess. And uh, uh, I wasn't climbing, but we had a guide and uh, he said, well, here we have the North Fakes. <laughs> and there are so many knockoffs of the North Face. And, and apparently, I, I believe that the corporation was trying to crack down legally on, on people using the logotype um, illegally or without any kind of um, permission. But um, now I've seen, I guess, you know, probably half a dozen or more um, variations on the design. And I, and I guess you might say that uh, uh, imitation is uh, the best compliment, but uh, in these cases, they weren't graphically as well done. But um, anyway, um, that's what happens when you, when you, um, you know, your, your product is so popular and spread around the world. Right. Well, that, that gets into that question of brand, right. And preserving what brand means to people. And and that's yeah. where companies start cracking down on, on, um, you know, fakes and imitations yeah. because of what that negative perception can do to damage a brand. And, right. you know, you, you know, maybe while you weren't thinking about some of these things while creating the North Face logo, I imagine as, as you progress through your career and then eventually working for, for a company like Merrill Lynch, like preserving brand has, has oh, got yeah. to be top of mind uh, for you. Part of my job was to go after employees, divisions, et cetera, that were using it without permission from headquarters and uh, doing all kinds of graphic uh, iterations to it. So, uh, yeah, I became pretty aware and pretty aware of the importance of graphic standards manuals. And, you know, even those standards uh, can change over the years when new things occur and, and uh, new ways of presenting things. But, you know, there basically is a formality and hierarchy of, of who's doing what. Now, I, in the case of um, North Face Gucci, Gucci was placed at the bottom. Um, so I suspect that um, more, the North Face had control, more in control over that um, graphic than Gucci had. Where uh, it wasn't uh, official Gucci logo type um, or their or their graphic symbol of the t two linking G's, but um, you know standards are you know pretty much a must when you get to be that size and uh, some ways of formatting. Um, you know, could it be? Uh, the North Face for Gucci or Gucci for the North Face, you know, and all those have um, 
you know, have a, have a visual emphasis. These, these are all the battles that you, you know, hear about, yeah. right? Over, over, over the brand and how it's represented and, and, yeah. and displayed. Um, and if you saw the, uh, the video that they put out, uh-huh. um, so many diehard uh, North Face customers were appalled that there were these high fashion models out in the mountains with, uh, without the, the boots laced up or the, you know, uh, or wearing high shield shoes with a purse. Um, you know, I can understand the quote campiness of high fashion models in camp, but, um, so many people took, um, an exception to it, uh, that, I think there needs to be a little more explanation to what the um, what the promotion was about, with uh, as particularly in the case where so many uh, loyal customers uh, thought that the company was abandoning them. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, this is everything. This is your, what you live and breathe, right? Is what is the perception? Like what, what are our decisions going to, what are those ripple effects, right? Are people going to perceive us based on the decisions that we make? And even, you know, where we place Gucci in relation to the North Face logo, right? These are the things that the nitty gritty things that you, you think about in your role. North Face for Gucci or Gucci for the North Face, you know, um, the visual balance, um, is ever so important to people's perception of what the hierarchy should be. Right. Well, I, I think the other other piece that's interesting about about the logo today is it's I, I think it's it's timeless in a lot of ways. And I don't know if that's just the the visual style that that you chose at that time. It's a very clean, minimal look um, that has stood the test of time. Um, well, I was yep. very influenced in my college uh, uh, studies by my design professor, who was a Swiss designer. And so, you know, if people say there's a Swiss look to it, or because I used Helvetica type, um, you know, I had tried in when I go back and look at those thumbnail sketches, I had tried some things with the uh, serif type and um, they just weren't making it. And uh, when I doodled around with uh, with Helvetica, uh, you know, this is a strong statement. That's great. Well, uh, you know. I, I could, I don't know, but we could, we could do a whole second episode all about the, the rest of your career. I guess, where did, you know, maybe as a way to kind of, I don't know, wrap up our conversation a little bit. I don't want to keep you too long, but, you know, you, you present this, it's accepted by the company. You go on and, and do other projects for the brand as well. Um, was that a, maybe this is an understatement. Was that a turning point for your career? Uh I must say it was, and my my friendship with Alvin Salet um, perpetuated my uh, doing more work for the ski industry. I designed uh, 
I think it was 17 models of snow skis for Yamaha Sports at the time. And uh, uh, Al and I actually made three trips to Hamamatsu, Japan in the, the course of five weeks. And um, <laughs> to bring the name Gucci in again, Yamaha had sent me probably two dozen pairs of blank white skis. And in the beginning, it was only sketches that I was taking back and forth. But when we got down to some um, more finalized models uh, of the graphics, I had to have these uh, skis silk screened, which I did in San Francisco and then carried, you know, 17 skis to Japan with me. And uh, so I wound up with these blank skis and there was a salesman around. I, I have to preface this, that my office was in a small building and there were, um, I think, eight, total of eight graphic designers and um, commercial artists, I'll call them, illustrators, who worked for advertising agencies. But, but one of the guys who was selling uh, my uh, office mate's work uh, always wore Gucci shoes, and he was very proud of these Gucci shoes. And so I did a, a Gucci design on a pair of skis and had them silk screened, and we presented this guy with the Gucci skis, uh, which he skied on, and I, I'm pretty sure at Mount Rose and and uh, and Squaw Valley. So uh, that was just a little side note. That I hope he still has those. I, I haven't spoken to him probably in 48 <laughs> years, so <laughs> I don't know that he's even alive still. But wow. um, anyway, that was uh, a Gucci aside. Well, you know, uh, we we haven't even gotten into like the I feel like the second half of your career, what what you're going to be working on, because as you said, you're you're still going. You still have so many more things that you plan to do. I guess um, what what has kept design interesting to you? You've mentioned off air having to learn new tools and push yourself in that way. What I guess what excites you about uh, about this work and continuing to engage in it. Why, why not just take a break? Um, the ideas continue to flow and the methods change. You know, you know, there was a time when we used a brush and ink to indicate type on, on our mock-ups and things. And now we use computers, but, um, uh, it's just something new every day as far as I'm concerned, and it's exciting, even though, you know, um, well, I say right now I've been working on books for a long time. Well, some are prim primarily text-driven, and they can be, some people would say, boring, but, you know, how the type looks on the page, what the white space looks like around the type, um, you know, where you place a figure. Um, it's still, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 75 years old and it's still 
all exciting to me. So um, it's something new every day. How does that feel to, to you know, start your career that way? Um, you know, almost fifty years ago, to be reconnecting with the brand now um, and potentially working with them again in the future. It's all very exciting. In fact, uh, to step back a little, um, like about three years ago, I was contacted by um, some people in Tokyo with, uh, involved with Condé Nast uh, Publishers, and they were going to do a uh, commemorative book as a gift to some of their clients uh, on the 50th anniversary of the North Face. And they said, could we interview you? And I said, well, certainly. Um, do you want me to meet you in San Francisco? And they said, no, well, we'll come to you. And uh, I said, well, you know, I live in the mountains far from San Francisco. And that, well, that's okay. And so on a rainy night in November of uh, 2016, I guess it was, even, um, this minivan pulls into my driveway and here's two editors a, a photographer and uh, um, an interpreter and and their driver and they hadn't eaten and it was pouring rain so i made a fire and had some frozen shrimp and pasta in the in the fridge so i whipped up a a quick uh, meal for them and we opened a couple of bottles of wine and and uh, they interviewed me and then they went away and i kept in contact with them um and ultimately they sent me a copy of the book and uh shortly thereafter i heard from the north face saying Geez, we're going to do, um, you know, we're starting to work on some things that are based on, you know, going back to our roots and, and using some of those color schemes and, and such. And so would you be interested in being a part of that uh, fireside chat that I mentioned earlier with, with Hap Klopp and, and Mark Harrison, Erickson uh, talking uh, with their design staff and others at the North Face. So um, it was great seeing how they are working now, you know, when back uh, when it was just me, it was basically just me and Hap making, making uh, design decisions. And, uh, you know, as they grew, they needed other people to work on things. And I, I, uh, that was in probably by late mid 74. Um, the company or the country was in quite a recession. And, uh, I was going as far away as Tokyo again to try to solicit more work from. Yamaha and, and other sports oriented companies and wound up not having, you know, I had to ultimately close my office and accepted a job as a design director for a firm in New York City. And that's how I wound up going to the East Coast. And uh, 
So, you know, one thing leads to another, and, and all of a sudden here I am back in touch with a lot of the people, and, and it's great to see Hap again. He and I have had lunch uh, a time or two, and, and uh, so, you know, we're kind of res- resurrecting old times, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, on, a, on kind of a, a slightly different note, but a similar vein, I think of, of all of the outdoor industry-specific logos, I think your story is the one that has been talked about and, and documented in a way um, that I, I feel like is, is not common of, of a lot of the other iconic outdoor brands. Um, you know, I... I, I know that you're the designer of the North Face logo because I've, I've been diving into this history. I've also tried to dig into the history of a lot of the other iconic logos out there and, and their history is not so well documented. Um, I, I'm surprised by that, but not surprised at the same time, but surprised because of the power of brand and the power of telling this story of the creation of a logo, which represents um, so much of what these brands are. Um, what, why do you think that happens? Why do you think some of these stories get lost um, when when th- these symbols are so important to these companies? And, and may, maybe it's because the outdoor industry is maturing. It's it's a young industry that maybe didn't recognize what it had, but now wishes it had documented those stories. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think you're exactly right in that uh, they wish that they had documented it at the time. But I can say that. Um, you know, working on brand and um, visual image at the time was a very small piece of of Hap's, uh, you know, time of the day. And, you know, he was busy with with product design and, and uh, uh, you know, where are we going to merchandise this? Where are we going to get our our supplies and and uh, so um you know if you had talked to the north face uh you know 10 years ago you probably wouldn't have gotten um as much information as you're able to get right now mm-hmm. i mean i didn't i didn't even know these materials still existed out in my storeroom in my flat files. You know, there's a lot there that I, that I wish, I mean, there's a lot that's not there that I wish that, uh, uh, that there was, but, um, you know, time goes by and things get misplaced or discarded. And, and, uh, you know, if you, if you're not actively trying to keep an archive, then things, you know, just kind of go away. And right. it's probably the same with um, the oral history of some of these other brands. That, uh, they just forgot to document them or they don't have the materials to back up any uh, new documentation. And so I'm very thankful for this opportunity to share it with you. And, and uh, so that it'll be around when, you know, these people who were there in the very beginning are, are no longer here. Well, my- well, more and more, I'm recognizing that if people don't document the history, it, it disappears, right? Um, 
I I recently, uh, this is a project that I'm working on that I I haven't really talked about, but um, you know, one of the outdoor industry logos that I think is really, it's not a brand. It's, it's the KOA, Mm -hmm. a a pretty, pretty unique logo. Um, I I was starting to dig into the history of that and, and happened to found the, find the family of the designer of that logo. And that, that history hasn't really been well documented. Um, And so I'm kind of diving into that and hoping to do some oral histories with the family and hoping to find some early print materials, um, you know, early sketches. Um, it, you know, hopefully those things are preserved, but more and more I'm recognizing the importance of this work where, you know, if, if the brand doesn't preserve the story or if, you know, a historian doesn't come by later on and, and records the oral history, those things can, can just disappear, right? And people won't even know that they, they existed. So... I appreciate you being willing to to help be a part of this and uh, appreciate you saving those napkin sketches and being, you know, being able to get those back to the North face where they can be preserved and appreciated and studied and um, referenced in the future. So it, it takes people like you who recognize maybe not in the moment, but you know, ha- happen to save those things um, yeah. and uh, for a future, future time. So exactly. Well, David, I I appreciate you taking time. This has been fun. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor industry leaders and enthusiasts, subscribe and listen wherever podcasts are found or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast.